0: Hey everybody, welcome to this week's roundup. Before I jump in, I just want to let you know that I have listed a bunch of stuff on eBay. A friend of mine was a professional photographer and now she's actually an art teacher, but she listed asked me to list a bunch of her very good camera gear on there. So I know some of my fellow photo nerds might be interested in that. And remember those lenses are compatible with a ton of different stuff, including Blackmagic cameras. So if you want some good stuff, definitely check that out. And I'm also trying to get rid of a bunch more stuff around here. And after, uh, after the incident with that other place, I think I'm stuck going back to eBay, but I don't love it. So any other suggestions, anybody out there work with any kind of uh, auction site, whatever, uh, I would love to try something new. But for now, good old eBay is unfortunately going to be what I have to use. So please check out the link if you're interested in anything. I don't know. But anyway, let's enough of that. Let's just jump in and see what we got going. First up, pre-orders are now open for a vinyl version of the Game Boy Advance game Mega Man Battle Network. And I believe this is the first time a Game Boy Advance game has ever had a vinyl release So that's kind of cool. The price is about $30, give or take, depending which store you pick it up from. And it's available from different stores around the world, US, EU, and Canada. So make it a little bit easier for people that want to get it. And there's a few different editions that you could choose if you'd like as well. So uh, if you're into anything like this, or if you're even mildly interested in the Mega Man Battle Network soundtrack, check out Crystal's post for more info and see if this one's for you. Next, pre-orders were open. They are now filled, hopefully to be reopened, but for the Retro Gaming Cable's Dreamcast component video cable. So this was powered by RetroTank. This is something that Mike helped design and it essentially converts either RGB or VGA to component video, all built right into the cable. I was able to get an order in for myself. So as soon as that arrives, I'm definitely gonna do a live stream testing the heck out of it, um, comparing it to different solutions and just making sure it's compatible. I think I'm pretty positive we could count on good video quality, unless there was a mistake or something. But what I'm really interested in is compatibility, because... Anybody that's tried to use a D-series BVM or an A-series BVM with the Dreamcast has always had weird issues. So hopefully doing the conversion to component video would help that out a little bit. But generally speaking, I have high hopes for this one. And hopefully by the time I'm able to do the live stream, pre-orders will reopen for it. But I wanted to just give everybody a heads up and kind of let everybody know that this thing's out there. It exists. um, And, you know, it's... it has promised to be really awesome. I just want to make sure to try it out and double check all of that as I always do. So I'll keep everybody posted. Brendan, aka b 64 k recently reviewed the brand new Commodore 64 game called A Pig Quest. And Brendan really liked it, kind of dug in as to why the game stood out so much, and even had snippets of interviews with the creator, Antonio Savona. So overall, it's everything that you would want in a game review. Uh, The game itself looks really cool, and you could either purchase the ROM or purchase a physical version if you like it. Links to everything are right here in the post. So no spoilers. I want you to see this review yourselves. It's not very long. I know some of Brendan's videos are hours long. This one's a very short one in comparison, so if you're even remotely interested in Commodore 64 Homebrew or really even new retro games, this is definitely a good video and a a good review to watch. And if you want to hear more about Brendan and how he's became the commodore 64 youtuber definitely check out the interview we did earlier this year This week's Roundup is once again sponsored by JLCPCB, and this week I would like to share a tip about what happens if you lose an order from your cart in checkout. And this is something that happened to me a bunch of times, and remember, I use their website far more than most people because I continuously do these things in order to make these videos and show everybody. So what you see on the Weekly Roundup here isn't one take, it's probably take number 20 as I'm trying to talk over it and not fumble my words like I often do, but, Very often what I've had happen is I'll get to all the way to the end where something will be in my cart for checkout and then somehow it's gone. Either something happens with a website or I just close the browser and I go into another browser to try to open it up and finish paying for the order and just get go all the way through. But it's not there. And sometimes it could be very frustrating because if you've gone through things like, OK, I need to replace components from the bomb that are not in stock or I need to make changes or, you know, it could be pretty time consuming if it's a large bill of materials in there as well and I found out that it's not actually lost. Thanks to my rep, I realized that it was a very stupid mistake, but not a very intuitive one to figure it out. So let me walk you through exactly what I saw. So if you ever find yourself with a website crashed or something's just not loading right in JLCPCB, and you see things exactly like this, server internal error or anything weird like that, and you go into your cart and nothing's there, it might've actually gone through the cart, but not been paid for yet. So let me just kind of show one more time. So there's nothing in the cart. You see something that says server internal error, but if we go into my order history, we could see that I had placed an order that had gone through for a new version of the scar cleaner, which I will follow up on that pretty soon. But this right here, everything went through because I had tried to push it through two other times and kept getting problems with the website. And I thought that they were all lost, but they in fact were just here and all I would have had to have have done is come back and hit pay. So I'm saying all of this not to insult JLCPCB's website. Every website has weird glitches every now and then. It just, it is what it is. But I wanted to save everybody the trouble because if you end up spending the time to load everything up and to have everything configured just to have it disappear, it could very well just be sitting here waiting for your payment. And all of these, the only thing I would have had to have done is go in and hit pay and it would have been finished. And of course, all you have to do in order to clear this out is then just go and delete the ones that you don't need. So because I ended up placing a completely different order, then all I have to do is delete the ones that were kind of pending. And now, All I have left is the one that is on its way. Hopefully we could have a finally completed version of the scar cleaner. Uh, And we have the previous one that we had purchased that had already been delivered, which was the last one that I showed. So this week was just kind of a quick tip on how to deal with all of this stuff. But it was one that I found very important. And I wasted a ton of time when all I would have had to have done is read their documentation, <laughs> go into their site and to click order history. So learn from my mistakes, save yourself some time. And if anything ever happens, you should probably find it right there. Victor Lushitz recently posted a short paper discussing how he applied an adaptive data caching architecture to his Doom 32X resurrection game, which if you don't remember, was a, basically a complete rewrite of the 32X version of Doom that improved it in absolutely absolutely every possible way. It was very cool. And Vic went back and originally did one part talking about renderer coding and platform optimizations. And now this one uh, talks about the different subjects as well. So if you're into coding, and especially if you're into doing any kind of homebrew for the 32X, uh, which now that there's a Mr. Core, I really hope that there's a lot more people that kind of look into that platform and see what could be done. But I really recommend reading through these posts because Vic goes into detail and really allows you to kind of see how this stuff works and hopefully maybe this will result in more homebrew for the 32x i certainly hope so i'd love to see i'd love to see silly stuff like you know outrun on the platform because that was a scheduled release that got canceled and imagine if the saturn version got ported over with 60 fps mode and no loading times i know it's a, probably a lot of work for a game that you could play 10 different ways including the original uh, on on mister but you know i like silly stuff like that so we'll see but anyway thanks to vic for always doing this Pre orders are now open for a new IEC compatible 3.5 inch floppy drive. So, This is a drive that would be used with retro computers that uses the IEC ports. If you're watching this on video, it's the the two circular ports on the back. If not, if you don't know what an IEC port is, it's basically what you would use to connect your floppy drive to your Commodore 64 or something like that, or tons of different older PCs. And it's firmware updatable via a USB port. And just to be clear, this is not a USB floppy drive. The USB port is only for firmware, firmware updates and stuff like that, but you could also select from a dip switch on the bottom to have 16 different DOS kernels. And it should be something that would work with any IEC compatible computer or even the Phoenix Retro System products, which are, are now shipping. A few of them are shipping, I believe. So. The price is $275 plus shipping, and it'll arrive in April of this year. So it's not a cheap device, but it seems to be a very well-built one. So uh, if you're into, if you have any need for an IEC floppy drive, I would at the very least check out the uh, the post and see if that's something that would uh, that would solve your problem. And if you want to hear more from the developer, Stephanie Allaire, definitely check out the interview we did a while back. I keep meaning to follow up. I'd love to do a follow-up interview with her. I think that'd be a lot of fun. But for now, we talked about a bunch of cool stuff so if you want to know why this product was made and what about what are the other products that it might be mated with uh, the other new products from phoenix retro systems that interview would still be a great place to start pixel effects have just announced that future versions of the n64 digital kit will have to drop RGB and component video output support. And that's because the analog chip that they use is going end of life and soon they won't be able to get it at all anymore. So if you wanted that functionality as well, then I think the current batch that's being sold will still have it, but it's the last batch. And to be honest, this may not be a big deal for most people because if you're installing an HDMI kit, you're probably just going to use HDMI and they have a direct out available so you should be able to or at least coming available as part of the roadmap that they've talked about so you should be able to just use an hdmi to do component video or rgb converter which that's kind of complicated in its own these days because they're not as reliable as they used to be but at least that's still an option but also what if you just need composite S video output that still is something that you could do just with the stock out with no modification at all but also Older versions of the N64 can get RGB mods with a very easy mod to it, or can get RGB output with a very easy mod. Later model N64s require the more advanced ones, and it's very complicated to install both, and it's not really something that, you know... it's not really worth the effort in most cases. However, the older ones, you could just drop one of those chips right over the bottom of the AV out, solder four wires to it, and you're pretty much done. It's one of the easiest mods you could do. So many people, so many eBay modders still screw that one up, but it is very easy. So with some patience or paying a local modder, you should be able to get that done. So if you still wanted dual RGB and HDMI output and didn't want to use a direct out version of it, there's still other ways to get it. So it's not the end of the world. So not sure if since there's going to be less chips, that's going to equate to a price drop, or maybe these will fall into the new tier system that they're doing. So I'm not really sure how that's going to work out. But I guess the bottom line is if you wanted to get an N64 digital HDMI kit for your N64, but also have component video out through the multi-out port, then you're going to want to buy this batch. And that's the end of it from now on. Now it's time for this week's Mr. Updates, care of Lou from Lou's Retro Source. As usual, I'm gonna skim through these, only adding thoughts when I I really wanna talk about stuff, but if you hear anything that interests you, please go check out Lou's video and subscribe to his channel. Uh, First up, The Mr. Main uh, build, so no extras added, now supports the ability to use your mouse's wheel as a spinner, which is pretty useful for some spinner devices that output themselves as a wheel. You also also might need to fine-tune this value when using that feature, so it might be too sensitive or not sensitive enough, but awesome addition. The NES Core also added support for the Famicom keyboard, which is pretty cool. The big, big news this week is Mike Simone's work on integrating native S-video and composite video support has started being integrated into the main system. And this is a huge deal because now you could natively get composite and S-video out. So no more messing around with variable capacitors, which, you know, shout outs to everybody who worked on those projects. I still think a standalone RGB converter with a variable cap on it would be something that certainly wouldn't sell thousands, but people would definitely appreciate it, but this is the better way to do it. You're actually generating S video and composite from the core. And all you need is a fairly cheap adapter that a few different stores are selling. I'm going to be picking up the one from pork soon, which I believe is the exact same as the one that, uh, that Mike sent me it just comes in a nice fancy case, but this is really great news. And you know, this is a big deal too, because this takes up a lot of space in each of the cores. So for Sork to kind of come around and say, okay, we've waited we've tested it this really is worth it so now i'm going to make the time to integrate it that's awesome everybody wins and i think it was with all respect i think it was done right i think being cautious and slow about this stuff and not just changing the whole main build and framework around a new a new idea. I, you know, I'm glad Sorg took his time with this one, but Mike Simone really proved that his, his work was solid and this is great. So uh, many, many cores already have the support in it. It's going to need to be added by original developers though. So not all stuff is going to be immediately have it, but I think they're going through and stuff's getting updated pretty quickly. So that's awesome. Uh, next up, the Commodore One Twenty Eight core has now been officially released. You could previously just get it through GitHub, but now just update your Mister Nor- like normal. Hotego released betas for the New Zealand story, which was a pretty cool game that had some delays because there were some issues. But they're now out for all of Patreon subscribers to test, and as soon as they're stable enough, you'll see them as a public release. There's also a custom INI that allows you to name each of your profiles and that's being tested in beta and it's coming soon. But this is something that was important for me because I immediately forget which of the profiles are which, main, alt1, alt2, etc. So now I could name them, you know, 1080p, direct video, 480p, so you could see it right in the menu and that's going to be pretty helpful. Uh, Next up, the schematics for the sound, CPU, ROM, and RAM portion of the Taito system SJ game board are now complete. So the developer, Anton Gale, will next work on the four Yamaha sound chips, and that will eventually get elevator action onto the platform. There's also been a whole bunch of miscellaneous and other updates, so if you want more info on this, once again, please subscribe to Lou's channel and check out his stuff because there's no way we'd be able to keep up with all this Mr. News without him. Team Muzua has just released an English translation patch for the Sega Saturn game Tactics Ogre. And Team Muzua was also the team that worked on Castlevania Symphony of the Night, Link Liver Story, and even the other Quest Corporation title, Ogre Battle, The March of the Black Queen. So, a tried and tested team of translators, and honestly, this is... Very cool, because any time a whole other group of people can experience a game for the first time is really impressive. And I always have such thanks towards any team who really spends the time to do this. Um, it's not only an English translation, but there's a whole bunch of quality of life changes to ma- uh, that were made to the game as well, including unlocking a hidden option and a whole bunch of other stuff. So uh, I don't want to sit here and read the post word for word and, uh, you know, just kind of drone on. This is just one of these things where if this was a game you might've been interested in playing, even if you think you might be interested in playing it, definitely check out the post, read through it, check out the video and see, but Honestly, this seems like a very cool way to uh, to experience a new game. And I definitely would, uh, would give it a try if you're a fan of the Saturn and you want to have a, a new game to you on the platform, assuming you didn't speak or read Japanese before that. Before I go, I just wanted to mention a live stream I recently did with Postman from Gamebox Systems, where we tested out the N64HD, which was another HDMI mod for the Nintendo 64. We lag tested it, and at the moment, it's pre release firmware had about a frame and a half of lag, and you know, zero is always the best, but a frame and a half of consistent lag certainly isn't the worst, and it doesn't matter at all if you're just looking for an awesome way to stream it. One of the things that I got to do here was play in composite video on a a really nice consumer 20-inch Sony CRT and stream with this, if that's the case. I mean, that's just the perfect mod for it because you don't even have to worry. But I think it's important to keep it in context. You know, Depending on the games that you're playing, one and a half frames might not be a big deal. And one and a half frames of consistent lag is way better than variable between half a frame and three frames, because at least you could try to compensate and time your moves. As long as you're using a low latency display, it shouldn't be that big a deal. The other thing that we were testing is the analog video output, which is still a little bit glitchy, but postman is going to work on that before these are released. Um, and we're going to be shipping stuff back and forth. So I'm, I'm basically sending them a whole box of stuff to test. So that way, analog output will be working. And when I say analog output, what I mean is taking the HDMI out, setting that to 240p, and then that would allow you to use an hdmi to component converter or if you wanted to stream you put it into an hdmi splitter one goes into your capture card and then you just need to compensate in obs for the resolution i've showed this many times in different videos and then the other one the other hdmi output goes to your hdmi to component or rgb converter so essentially you could use this to drive a pvm or a consumer grade crt and stream at the same time, as long as you just do some fiddling with OBS to make sure to get the aspect ratio and the the stretching correct. So it's a very cool mod. It's got a bunch of potential. I really liked it. I, I liked Postman a lot as well, so you know, definitely keep your eyes open for this. Um, I think pre-orders are still open, and I will probably follow up with a written post, maybe another live stream. I'm not sure once the final firmware is done and we could confirm how the 240p output works and its compatibility. But overall, I thought this was pretty cool, and I like that there are new or more choices now for the N64. And this one may very well be just the perfect choice for a lot of people. So you know, keep an open mind, research the options, and pick whichever is best for you. Well, that's it for this week. As always, thanks to everybody who watches, listens, plays nicely in the comments, and especially thank you to anybody who supports in any way because it is you who is keeping all of this going. So thank you all so much, I really appreciate it, and I'll see you next week.